Okay, welcome to Sports and Songs. We're going to start out with some news uh, stuff we've had on our social media pages, and we're just going to share it with you here. A um, couple key bits, uh, two different angles on it. Both, I think, were pretty important. Uh, the National Women's Soccer League, the NWSL, had a couple members uh, take a different stand during the National Anthem. Literally, they stood while the rest of the team knelt. Um, one was Samantha Murphy. She was backup goalie for North Carolina. Uh, and she said in her uh, release of why, uh, she says here, Samantha Murphy, who's a backup goalie for North Carolina Courage, was identified as the player who was standing during the national anthem on the sideline. Um, but she did wear the Black Lives Matter T-shirt that the rest of the team wore during warm-ups. Um, it's just, she says, uh, reportedly she did take a knee in solidarity with her players while the public address announcer read a statement about Black Lives Matter, but she still felt it was important to stand during the national anthem. Um, another player, Rachel Hill, explains why she stood, and uh, she cites that she came from a military, fam- military family. The Red Stars player received support for her decision. Rachel Hill, who was one of the National Women's Soccer League's players, who did not kneel during the national anthem when the league started its season over the weekend. Hill who was standing next to Casey Short and Julie Ernst of her Chicago Red Stars teammates as they knelt and embraced during the anthem. On Tuesday, Hill explained that she chose not to kneel while still supporting the protests across USA against racial injustice and police brutality. Quote, I chose to stand because of what the flag inherently means to my military family members and me, but I 100% support my peers. Symbolically, I tried to show this with my placement of my hand on Casey's shoulder and bowing my head. I struggled but felt that these actions showed my truth and, in the end, what I wanted to remain true to myself. That was all off her Twitter account. Um, also, it says, quote, If it wasn't clear, let my words and, fur- and further actions be. I support the Black Lives Matter movement wholeheartedly. I also support and will do my part in fighting against current inequality. Inequality, as a white athlete, is partly due to my diligent anti-racist. So she covered both, and you can cover both. You could still support your movements and everything else, but still stand for the flag. That's what she did, and that's what she was trying to hope other people understand. That's what she did by. Not kneeling, she wasn't not supporting. She was still supporting the one of the gals. She wore the T-shirt. She supports her other teammates on stuff. The one of the gal, like I said, she knelt during the reading from the PA announcer on their statement. That's fine. Do that then, not during the anthem. I think that's the point everybody's trying to get across. That's uh, what we're hoping for here. Um, other other news. Um, NASCAR had a statement out this week. Um, NASCAR usually holds uh, their awards in Nashville, Tennessee this year. It's supposed to be. Um, they're not going to hold them this year because of the coronavirus, just the whole social gathering, people around. Um, I also know the NFL Hall of Fame has postponed. Uh, they're not doing theirs. Um, so that's changes we got to get used to. It'll be a double dip next year. I feel bad for those who, like for the Football Hall of Fame, you knew your player was going in your favorite player, so you bought your tickets a year in advance, and now you're stuck with them. I don't know how hotels are doing refunds out there. I'm sure they're giving you refunds. Do you want to roll it over until next year? It's going to be packed there next year with two, two groups going in, but we'll see how that goes. 
But NASCAR did release a statement that says, with the uncertainty surrounding the coronavirus and the impact on this industry, this year's NASCAR Champions Week and NASCAR Cup Series Awards originally scheduled to take place in Nashville will not occur. The 2020 NASCAR Cup Series, NASCAR Xfinity Series, and NASCAR Gender RV and Outdoor Truck Series championships will be celebrated at the end of the season with more details to come. They will be going back to Nashville in 2021, so they're going to probably have something at the end of the year. What? I don't know. For lack of better words, they probably do what most people do and are making it up as they go along, which I do not blame them. More fun, lighthearted stuff here we've been covering. Um... As you know, for a while here we've been covering on Twitter through the Minnesota State High School League. They've had their contest for best school name. Uh, we've been putting up on social media the, the, the brackets and everything else. Um, I did look at the brackets overall. Um, so they've been coming down and following it. The finals came down to <clears throat> the Blooming Prairie Awesome Blossoms. And the Moorhead Spuds were the two in the finals. With a total of 6,782 votes, the Spuds won 50.4% to 49.6%. Pretty close contest there. Um, Every vote matters in elections, and this just proves it. Uh, Total number of votes through the 64-team bracket was just over 87,000. So that's that's great, great follow for them on the Minnesota State High School League page for Twitter. And their page, too, if you're into the high school sports, please, uh, you can follow it on there. You go to them, uh, Minnesota State High School League, uh, mshsl.org. Um, you can pick, if you want to look at just basketball stuff or you want to look at just your school, it's got it all on there. So it's uh, something good to take a look at and uh, give them a peek and see what's going on. Um, moving on to pro wrestling, uh, you know, we cover that here every now and then, um, have our special shows every now and then with Jason Inc. Well, you catch those every now and then some other news going on in TNA wrestling, um, Tessa Blanchard was their champion. She had, she's the TNA does a lot of the intergender, intergender wrestling, male versus female. Not my thing, but you know, teach their own. Um, Tessa had won their world title, the title held by the men, not the women's world title, but the world title. Um, and Tessa Blanchard is the daughter of Tully Blanchard from the Four Horsemen. If you're wondering, where have I heard that name? Um, daughter of Tully Blanchard, but uh, her stepdad is Magnum T.A. <laughs> That's another episode altogether Jason and I will get into one day. But uh, Tessa was the world champion. The whole coronavirus thing, she, has, of course, hasn't been defending. TNA has not been doing empty studio shows like others. They were just starting to, and TNA was getting ready for their big yearly anniversary. It's kind of like their WrestleMania. They give out their yearly awards and have their big pay-per-view and that. Well, just before that, TNA had up and released her. Um, still things coming out on Y and everything else. Tessa was released. Um, she did wrestle in WWE for a while, and NXT was starting for the Mae Young Classic for their women's tournament. But kind of left with a bad taste. Some people have bad taste with her there. Um, she's done some other th- things. So I don't. I personally don't think you'll see her in WWE or AEW anytime soon. Even though her dad's AEW, I don't know if she's gonna be there for a while. Um, I hear she's really hard to work with from some people in the locker rooms. But I've heard different from other people. So 
You know, you hear the good and the bad. Um, she'd be a great draw, name-wise, name recognition. But chocolate chips are great, but you don't put them in your spaghetti. You know what I'm saying? Just because she's a good person, she might be a cancer in the locker room. We don't want to have that. Um, so Slammiversary is going to have – or Impact Wrestling, TNA, at Slammiversary is going to have the world title match only – it's going to be a three-way. It's supposed to be a four-way with Tess in there. I think that was the way of getting the belt off of her. So two other guys could pin each other and not be involved. Um, so they're still going to go on with their match, but it's just going to be less her. And speaking of AEW and WWE, AEW is kind of in uh, turmoil right now. John Moxley has their world is their world champion, and his wife Renee Young uh, works at WWE. Well, she has tested positive for the coronavirus. Um, so she's on quarantine, but <laughs> Moxley's got it now too, and he was supposed to defend the title coming up here at AEW. They're giving him the 14-day quarantine, see what happens. Very interesting. This is going to be very interesting to see how they work around this. Kind of, again, I hate to say make it up as we go along, but just seeing what happens. A couple quick baseball notes. The Mets have signed Melky Cabrera and Jordan Hughes to their player pool. We'll see how that works out. And there is some rumor scuttlebutt going around the San Francisco Giants with this abbreviated 60-game schedule. Some of it was kind of tongue-in-cheek, and some people were going, well, the Giants have been uh, thinking of signing Barry Bonds as a DH for the season, so we'll see how that goes. Speaking of baseball, minor league baseball has officially canceled the 2020 season. I know um, locally here in Minnesota, a lot of the, a lot of players from Minnesota that were either went to the, U, the University of Minnesota or high school players that still kind of live in the area were practicing at Minnetonka High School the other day because with no minor leagues, they still want to stay in shape. So they're all kind of working out together. Um, some of the AAA guys may still get a call to the pros. We'll see. But uh, they're still working out. They, they just want to do this. Um, and the teams, the Oakland A's, put a thing out on their social media site. And this is kind of a great promotion, kind of reminds me of something Vec would do with the Saints or uh, his dad would have done with the White Sox back in the day. The Oakland A's are selling their fans cardboard cutouts of themselves and they'll place them in the stadium. If a foul ball hits the, your cutout during the game, the A's will send you that ball in the mail. So I thought, that's kind of a neat neat thing to do, you know. I, I'd do it if I was closer. Well, why not, you know. Um, but that's what we got for sports news right now. Uh, we're going to have some other sports news in another segment here, but these are the first bits. I hope you're liking our new format like this. Please let us know either way, good, bad, or indifferent. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can leave your comments on our Facebook page. You can leave them on the Anchor site here. Leave comments on there. We'd love to hear from you. All right. Time for the this week in sports history and sports birthdays. We'll start with June 29th, 1984. Oral Hershiser of the Dodgers begins a streak of making every scheduled start until 1990. It's hard to find a pitcher to go an entire season making every scheduled start. He did it for six years. Bulldog was his nickname, Oral Hershiser. <clears throat> 1986, Sparky Anderson is the first to win 600 games as a manager in both leagues. He did it with the Cincinnati Reds and the Detroit Tigers. Sparky Anderson, one of the greater, greatest uh, managers we've had. <clears throat> and this is a day, I, I kind of remember this one here. 
uh, June 29th, 1990. The A's Dave Stewart, no hits to the Toronto Blue Jays, and the Dodgers' Fernando Valenzuela throws a no-hitter against the St. Louis Cardinals. First time two no-hitters were thrown in both leagues on the same day. Birthdays, 1936. Greatest Twins player ever, Harmon Killebrew, was born that day in Idaho. Harmon did pass away in 2011. June 30th, 1962, Los Angeles Dodgers Hall of Famer Sandy Koufax no-hits New York Mets 5-0 for the first of his four career no-hitters thrown by Koufax. 1982, the New Jersey NHL franchise officially named Devils by fan balloting. Legend of the Jersey Devil, a creature that allegedly inhabits the Pine Barrens of South Jersey. Woo! Birthdays, 1985, Michael Phelps, uh, Olympic swimmer, was born in Baltimore, Maryland. And in 1985, wrestler Cody Reynolds, or Cody Rhodes, or just Cody now, uh, was born in 1985. July 1st, 1916, Pittsburgh shortstop Hannes, Hannes Wagner, at age 42 and four months, connects at Cincinnati to become the oldest to hit an inside-the-park home run, and the Pirates won that game 2-1. to one. 1917, <clears throat> Reds' Fred Tony pitches two complete games and a doubleheader victories over the Pirates, allowing three hits in each game. Fewest allowed by any pitcher winning two ML game, MLB games on the same day. Two complete games and a doubleheader. Same person. Again, it's hard to find a pitcher to go seven innings today as a starter. 1920, Washington Senators, Senators pitching legend Walter Johnson. No hits the Red Sox, one nothing at Fenway for the only no-hitter of his illustrious career. Walter Johnson um, with Washington Senators, who that Washington Senators team, which later became the Minnesota Twins. Walter Johnson, uh, baseball historians, look up his career. Just a phenomenal pitcher back in the day. Um, odd that he only had the one no-hitter, but lots of records for, for Walter Johnson. Great pitcher. 1945. First Major League Baseball superstar to return from World War II, Hank Greenberg, homers in his first game back. Uh, 1945, a lot of players that went to World War II were coming back. It was nice to see those guys coming back and forth, um, still making the transition. 1951, Cleveland Indians veteran hurler Bob Feller pitches his third career no-hitter, beating the Tigers 2-1. to one. Uh, Bob Feller, great pitcher again, um, back in the era, back in the day, if you will. Um, again, baseball historians know Bob Feller was so... Fluent. I had the pleasure of meeting him once at an autograph session. Very nice man. 1982, Cal Ripken Jr. makes the first of his 2,216 consecutive Major League Baseball starts at shortstop for the Baltimore Orioles. 1987, New York City radio station WFAN is the first to become a 24-hour all-sports format. 1996, Canadian NHL franchise Winnipeg Jets. Officially moved to Arizona, renaming the Phoenix Coyotes. The Jets have again started. In, uh, there is a new Winnipeg Jets team now. Kind of like the Washington Senators in baseball. There's another team, Winnipeg Jets now. July 2nd, 1933. New York Giants pitcher Carl Hubble working eight, works 18 innings of shutout ball without a walk to beat St. Louis. The Cardinals won nothing. 1987, St. Louis Royals outfielder Jim Eisenreich hits first home run since 1982 in Major League Baseball comeback process. Uh, he retired in 84. Jim Eisenreich did play for the Twins for a while. Uh, then he went to the Royals. He did have time off. He suffered from Tourette syndrome. 
made a brief comeback for a year or so there and came back. But Jim Isaac, really a nice guy. Um, really, he wasn't a superstar player. He wasn't an all-star player. He was just a really great guy, guy you wanted to have on your team. He was a good fourth or fifth outfielder. He was your backup DH. Um, play a little first base. Jim Isaac was just a great fundamental player. Kind of like um, Gene Larkin was for the Twins. For those who remember Gene Larkin, it's also same type of player. Good, good guy. Birthdays, 1937, the King Richard Petty uh, has a birthday, um, auto race champion. July 3rd, 1968, Cleveland pitcher Louis Tian strikes out a Major League record 19 Minnesota Twins in a 1-0 win. Record for 10-inning game also records 32 strikeouts in consecutive, 32 Ks in consecutive games. Now, of course, that record's been broken since then, but in 1968, that was the record. 1973, brothers Gaylord and Jim Perry face each other for the only time in their Major League history. The Tigers beat the Indians 5-4, Gaylord charged with the loss. Those two guys switched teams a lot and everything else. Really surprised they didn't face each other more than just one time, but just the one meeting there. 1988, Gene Nelson of the Oakland A's becomes the first AL pitcher to steal a base since 1973 in a 9-8 win over the Toronto Blue Jays. July 4th, birthdays. I think there's only two on here, and when you listen to the dates and what they did for their sports, and iconic, I guess is the word for it, kind of fitting that they're both born on July 4th. 1929, Al Davis, uh, owner of the Oakland Raiders, then the Los Angeles Raiders, then the Oakland Raiders again, was born on that day. 1929, died in 2011. Uh, 1930, George Steinbrenner of the Yankees was born. Um, he passed away in 2010. It's kind of weird, all those guys, born a year apart, died a year apart, both born on 4th of July. Kind of weird how they uh, symbolized ownership, uh, made the owners the face of the team, not the manager or the players for both of those guys. Pretty ironic they had the same birthday. July 5th, 1914. Major League Baseball's Boston Braves were 26-40, and 40 are 15 games back in the NL, and they go on to win the World Series 4-0 over the Philadelphia A's. That's a 363 winning percentage. Last year's Washington Senators, that everybody talks about, at one time was 19-31. and That's a 380 winning percentage. Sorry, Nats fans. What the Braves did was a little better. 1993. Oakland A's outfielder Ricky Henderson leads off both games of a doubleheader against Cleveland with home runs. First time that's been done since 1913. Birthdays, 1923, John McKay, uh, former football head coach of USC and the first coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, was born on that day in 1923. He passed away in 2001. Now we'll move on to This Week in Music with Music History and Birthdays. June 29, 1985, Mick Jagger and David Bowie record Dancing in the Street at the legendary Abbey Road Studios in London, for the Live Aid charity. They shot the video the same day. 1984. After a failed attempt shooting a studio video for Dancing in the Dark, Bruce Springsteen did a live in concert at Saint Paul, in St. Paul, Minnesota at the old St. Paul uh, Center. During Clarence Clemens' sax solo, he brings a very young 19-year-old Courtney Cox onto the stage to dance with him. If you remember that video, he puts his hand down in the crowd. Courtney Cox comes on later on. Of course, Courtney Cox goes on to be on Friends and other shows. Um, a friend of mine was at that concert. 
in St. Paul when that happened. And he said what, hap- what they found out later on, those three were brought up stage right before that song. They knew they were recording a video, so the crowd was a little more up for it. Of those three girls, none of them knew who was going to be called up on stage, hence the surprise look on their face when they came up. But um, he said it was pretty neat to be you – know, I was in a video. He goes, you can't see me, but I was there. So it was pretty cool to be there. 1974. Neil Peratt replaces John Rosti as the drummer of Rush. Rosti played on the band's first album. But Peratt plays for the next 18, joining Getty Lee and Alex Leifson as one of the most vulnerable, most vulnerable and productive partnerships in rock history. That was 1974. Rush, they still today, just incredible song. Getty Lee is just a master. Um, but the three of them sticking together all those years, you don't see that very much anymore. Birthdays, 1984, Ian of Deep Purple's drummer and founding member was born on this day. Ian also played with Whitesnake for a while on uh, four of their albums, Ready and Willing, Live in the Heart of the City, Come and Get It, and Saints and Sinners. Um, he had also played with Jimi Hendrix and Paul McCartney a few times too, so uh, Ian's been around. June 30th, 2009, Spinal Tap start and end their one-night-only world tour at Wembley Arena in London. 2012, in Kiev, Queen launched their first tour with American Idol alumni Adam Lambert on lead vocals. The band had previously toured with Paul Rogers in Kiev. Uh, that's where they had it. Um, Paul Rogers, he'd done some other stuff, filling in. I never heard Paul Rogers sing with Queen, so I don't know. Adam Lambert does a good job, but no one's Freddie Mercury, so we'll let that one go for another day. July 1st, 1979, the Sony Walkman debuts in Japan, making music portable. And now here we're doing it on our phones and everything else, but 1979 is when all that fun started. 1956, a family-friendly Steve Allen show does not want Elvis Presley shaking his legendary pelvis, so he sings Hound Dog to a Basset Hound. Both Elvis and the Pooch were dressed in formal wear, which I'm sure was a Steve Allen bit. Steve Allen... Not as funny as he likes to think he is, but um, back then he couldn't show a lot. Other shows had issues with that too, but I'm surprised Steve Allen even had him on to start with. Birthdays, 1952. Dan Aykroyd is born in Canada, Ottawa, Canada. Um, Dan Aykroyd, yeah, movie, comedian, everything else, but I remember Dan Aykroyd was uh, with the Blues Brothers, with John Belushi, and he also appeared in the We Are the World video as one of the singers in that one, so that's a little bit extra trivia there you probably didn't know. July 2nd, 2005, Pink Floyd performed Comfortably Numb at Live 8, a London concert, reforming the band with members Roger Waters, Dave Gilmore, Nick Mason, and Rick White for the first time since 1981 when Rogers left the band. It's the last time the four would play together as Wright died a few years later in 2008. Uh, we covered this a while ago, but here's the actual anniversary date of it. 1962, Jimi Hendrix is honorably discharged from the Army after serving a little over three years' commitment. The reason for his discharge is unsuitably, as he suppresses, as his superiors agree, he will never be a good soldier. In part, he becomes more interested in his guitar than his rifle. 1986, the second Prince movie, Under the Cherry Moon, hits theaters. Unlike the first movie, Purple Rain, Prince directed this one. Uh, July 3rd, 1971, Jim Morrison of The Doors was found dead in his bathtub at age 27. No autopsy is performed, and while drugs are suspected, the official cause is listed as heart attack-induced 
by respiratory problems. Or if it was today, it'd probably be COVID-19, but that's another story. Birthdays, 1958. Country singer Aaron Tippin was born in Pensacola, Florida, where he resides but he resides today in South Carolina. But Aaron Tippin, decent country singer, has got good, good hard American songs. Uh, 1957, Rat, lead singer Stephen Piercy, was born in San Diego, California. July 24th, the king of booty songs, Sir McSlot's Baby Got Back, hits number one on the airwaves. I think everybody's saying that song once. Maybe not karaoke, but in their car, we've all done that. July 4th, 1987, John Fogarty headlines a Vietnam Veterans Benefit Concert at the Capitol Center in Landover, Maryland, broadcast on HBO. Other performers included Neil Diamond, Stevie Wonder, and Chris Christopherson. 1987 also, Genesis closed out their Invisible Touch or Invisible Tour with a sold-out show in Wembley Stadium in London. They played the venue the previous three nights as well, also all sell-out crowds. Birthdays, 1972, William Goldsmith, former or our drummer of the Foo Fighters, was born in Seattle, Washington. 1952, John Waite, lead vocalist and bass guitarist of The Babies and lead vocalist of Bad English. Also a few other solo albums in there, too. Was born in England on this day, 1952. July 5th, 1947, or 1974, Linda Ronstadt records her uh, breakthrough hit, You're No Good, at the Sound Factory in Hollywood with producer Peter Asher. And birthdays, round out with birthdays here in 1959, Mark Cohn was born in Cleveland, Ohio. And Hugh Anthony Krieg III is born in New York, also known as Huey Lewis. He would go on to form Huey Lewis in the News in San Francisco to go on to their many a hits. Uh, sports being a very good album, uh, really hard to find a bad song on that album. Not great songs, not top 40 songs, but they're all good songs. Um, I guess Huey had uh, dabbled in acting for a while. Um, helped do other artists, stuff with other artists. And I, where it is they've recorded or are, are working on a new album now for Huey Lewis and the News? Um, just good, simple music. I think that's what was great about Huey Lewis and the News. It wasn't, wasn't hard rock. It was one of the last real rock bands without having a title like everything else had. But that is sums up this week in uh, music and sports history. Which is I think we missed, let us know. If you know of any birthdays coming up, you want to let us know, let us know on the Facebook page or a message us here at on the Anchor site. Um, we could also be on Instagram and Twitter. Let us know if you got a, a sports, your favorite sports or musician. You know, hey, don't forget to mention this person's birthday or this event coming up that we know of that we're a big fan of this band or this team. Let us know. We'll give it a mention and give you a shout out. on the Sports and Songs Podcast. Okay, concert updates. Not many. Uh, A lot of the same information from last week, so I won't repeat that. Just a couple uh, additions to our list. Uh, Things to keep you in mind for. Uh, Raleigh's and Sock Rapids. They, um, little restaurant or uh, roadhouse out there. 
We'll be having some, they have been having some concerts. They got some other things coming up here and there. Um, they got a tailgate drop live on July 17th. They got Colt Ford coming up on July 24th. But the one we're talking about here is August 1st, the Kentucky Headhunters at 5 p.m. Um, August 29th, John Michael Montgomery. Um, some other shows coming up. Just keep an eye on their website also. Raleigh's R-O-L-I-E-S and Sock Rapids, their one. And then also coming up, August 14th, Altoon, Iowa, Hairball. Um, they're starting to play again too, so keep an eye on their website and for other information and further dates on that. Now it's time for this week's album of the week. Hi, this is Dan. This week's review is The Doors. Little Jim Morrison, The Doors album, L.A. Woman. Released April 19th, 1971. This was recorded from December 1970 through January 1971 in a location called The Doors Workshop in Los Angeles, California. We'll get to a little more on that later. Um, Length of this album is 48 minutes, and it's blues rock and psychedelic rock. The two singles released from L.A. Woman was Love Her Madly and Riders on the Storm. Here's an overview. L.A. Woman was the sixth studio album by American rock band The Doors, released in 1971 on Elektra Records. It's the last to feature lead singer Jim Morrison. He died three months later. The album was heavily influenced by the blues. It was recorded without record producer Paul Rothschild. After he fell out of the group, Elf had a falling out with the group after the perceived lack of quality in their studio performances. Subsequently, the band co-produced the album with longtime sound engineer Bruce Botnick. Love Her Madly was released as a single in March of 1971, preceding the album's release a month later. It reached the top 20 in the Billboard Hot 100, and upon release, the album peaked at number nine on the Billboard 200. The Doors had achieved critical success and commercial success by 1969, but for much of that year, they were blacklisted from radio playlists and their concert bookings dwindled after Jim Morrison had been charged with a profanity and indecent exposure charge stemming from a concert in Miami, Florida on March 1st. On September 20th of 1970, Morrison was convicted for the Miami incident. In November 1970, shortly after the Morrison trial ended, the Doors entered Sunset Sound Recorders in Los Angeles to record some early versions of the standout track L.A. Woman, as well as Riders on the Storm and Love Her Madly. The new songs were a departure from the heavily orchestrated pieces on the earlier album, The Soft Parade, which burdened the group with some long, drawn-out recording sessions. This was now more simplified and straightforward style, progressing from the Morrison Hotel, which is well-received, 
and noted by Jazz, Jazz and Pop magazine as a return to the tight fury of early Doors music. The band had some conflicts with the record company Electric Records, though. Electra. 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 So, they had some issues with Electra, and we'll get into that here in a bit. Um, record producer Paul Rothschild, who worked with the band on their first five albums, attended some early sessions, but quit following some friction with the band. In particular, the dissatisfaction with the song Love Her Madly. But another issue for Rothschild leaving was the emotional devastation he felt after the death, the recent death of Janis Joplin as well. Bruce Botnick, who was the sound engineer, had worked with Rothschild on the band's previous five recordings. So with Botnick at the helm, the band organized a makeshift recording studio on the private rehearsal space of the called the Doors Workshop, a two-story building at 8512 Santa Monica Boulevard in L.A. Uh, then they could record in a more comfortable and relaxed setting while avoiding the expenses of a professional studio. A mixing console that was previously owned by Electro was installed upstairs in the workshop, while studio monitors, microphones, and keyboards were set up downstairs. To compensate for the lack of an isolated vocal booth, Morrison recorded in the bathroom doorway. Very interesting here. And this location called the Doors Workshop is, is about a half a mile away from Whiskey A Go-Go and, and the Rainbow off of the Sunset Strip. So they recorded in this location. They called it the Doors Workshop. For recording purposes, Elvis Presley's bassist Jerry Sheff and rhythm guitarist Mark Benno were brought in to provide the additional backing. By all accounts, Morrison, who was a huge Elvis Presley fan, was excited by Chef's participation. The songs were completed in a few takes on a professional quality eight-channel recorder, and the album was finished in six days. Morrison was a blues enthusiast and proclaimed the final recording sessions as, as Blues Day. As they recorded Crawling Kingsnake, Cars Hissed By My Window, and L.A. Woman all in the final day. The album had a raw, live sound with over, overdubs mostly limited to some additional keyboard work. The band recording the began, the, the band began recording without much material and needed to compose a lot of the songs on the spot and on the fly, either by jamming or talking through ideas, according to Botnick. Morrison was always easy to work with and spent long hours in the studio with very little consumption of alcohol. And he was focused. He was focused. This album deals with con uh, the contemporary topics such as life, love, life in Los Angeles, and the complex aspects of the human experience. They did not approach the album as far as the title with one vision. But after we got working the songs, we realized they're all talking about L.A., the songs are all about men, women, boys, girls, girls, loves lost, loves found in Los Angeles. The album as a whole demonstrated Morrison's songwriting abilities combined with his poetic phrasing and enthusiasm for Los Angeles and a desire to leave the city with his partner, Pamela Corson. Artistically, L.A. Woman saw the band mixing blues and rock. L.A. Woman with the Morrison penned track, The Changling, which, is the, which The Doors actually wanted to be the album's first single release. That was supposed to be the song 
Now, that's the song that was playing when we preceded this segment. So they wanted that to be the single, the first single off that album. But it was decided in favor of Love Her Madly instead. The songs mentioned of the of the word changeling or spirit child uh, may be another reference to Morrison's difficult childhood. In addition, in addition to the changeling, the Doors chose to incorporate three other compositions written before 1971. El America, which original title was Latin America, the song Crawling King Snake, and the song The Wasp, Texas Radio and the Big Beat. El America was originally recorded for the soundtrack of director Michelangelo Antonini's 1970 movie Zabriskie Point, but was ultimately rejected. The Doors' arrangement of the, tra- of the traditional Crawling King Snake dates back to the early tours and was sometimes coupled with Morrison's poem, Celebration of the Lizard. The Wasp, Texas Radio, and the Big Beat is a reworking of Morrison's sample of poetry, first appearing on the group's souvenir books in 1968, combining double-track spoken word and song foreshadowed the poetic readings Morrison posthumously revealed on An American Prayer. Morrison also contributed the song Bend Down So Long, a song inspired by folk singer Richard Farina's Been Down So Long, It Looks Like Up To Me. That's where that phrase comes from. He also contributed the blues song Cars Hiss By My Window. Unlike most of the other tracks, it was composed in the studio. Jim said that the song is about Venice Beach when he was living there in a hot room with his hot girlfriend, and an open window, and a bad time. The song could have been about his girlfriend, Pamela Corson. L.A. Woman closes its first side with the title track, and lengthiest song on the album, thought thought of as Morrison's final goodbye to Los Angeles, it communicated his mixed feelings of passion and disdain for the city of night. Lyrics also feature the anagram for Jim Morrison's name, Mr. Mojo Rising. On the remaining self-written material on L.A. Woman, Love Her Madly, which echoed Morrison's songs of romance and insecurity. He wrote the song At Home to alleviate his boredom during Morrison's trial in Miami. Ianson's House, the final track, uh, I'm sorry, and the Riders on the Storm was a collective effort by the Doors based on the arrangement Ghost Riders in the Sky and the line Delicate Riders of the Storm, taken from Hart Crane's poem Praise for an urn. The track melded Morrison's hitchhiker imagery from his own poetry projects. The faint, ghostly backdrop heard throughout the song was the last recording of Morrison with the doors. After Morrison recorded poetry at Village Recorders on December 1970, he felt encouraged to play some L.A. woman material on tour. On December 11th, the Doors performed in front of two sold-out audiences at the State Fair Music Hall in Dallas. The band opened the first concert with the extended 
love her madly. But struggled with the older material as they had not played live since the Isle of Wight Festival that August. The set included the Changeling and L.A. Woman and closed when, when the music's over. These concerts were well-received, proving the Doors were still capable of live act and leading to the extra performance in Louisiana. Audience recordings from the Doors' performances of Love Her Madly, The Changeling, L.A. Woman, and the Morrison Hotel track Ship of Pools were also included in 2003 album Boot Your Butt, The Doors' Bootlegs. On December 12th, the Doors played the Warehouse in, Los An- in, in New Orleans for what turned out to be their very last live performance with Jim Morrison. Robbie Krieger says, I'm glad that the L.A. Woman was our last album. It really captured what we were all about. The first record did, too, but L.A. Woman is more loose, live. It sounds almost like a rehearsal. It's pure Doors. The album reached number nine on the Billboard 200, remaining on the charts even for 36 weeks. This is the first album in which Jim Morrison is bearded. His photo on the album, on the right, is no bigger, no smaller than the others in the band. Just another guy in the band. Three months after the release of the album, Jim Morrison was found dead. The album received mostly positive reviews. Rolling Stone's Robert Metzler was impressed by the sense of fun and togetherness of the band, saying it was The Doors' greatest album and the, quote, best album of the year. L.A. Woman was a fitting swan song for Morrison, who was pleased to finally record a blues-oriented album. Rolling Stone magazine's list of top 500 greatest albums of all time, this album was listed at 364. Personnel. Jim Morrison was on the vocals. Ray Manzurek, piano and organ. Robbie Krieger, guitar. John Densmore on drums. Keep in mind, the Doors never had a bassist. They brought in bass players when needed, and in this case, Jerry Sheff from the Elvis Presley Band. Here's the track listings. Song one, The Changeling. Song two, Love Her Madly. Song three, Bend Down So Long. Four, Cars Hiss By My Window. Five, L.A. Woman. Song six, El America, originally titled Latin America. Next song is Hyenseth House, Crawling Kingsnake, The Wasp, and Riders on the Storm. The album reached double platinum status, and it was 49 years ago this weekend, Jim Morrison died. Once again, the only album with him featured as a cover on the front, photographed with his beard. That is all for this week's album review.